joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. So good. So we have Pastor Phil and Pastor Chris are going to be with us at the end of September for our national conference. She's going to be right here. So uh, we love love our the founders of C3 International, and we get the great privilege of having them here. So uh, if you want to find out more about the conference, make sure you do that information desk and um, all those good things. But it's going to be great. So I get the great privilege of introducing our speaker today, um, Rudy Lombard. He's going to be coming up to the stage. So Rudy and his wife Haley have been attending the church here uh, for over three years, have been involved in, in lots of areas. Um, recently, you may have seen him in the cafe serving up the coffee. Got to love that. But also involved in Kingdom Builders. Uh, they have a young one-year-old son, Joshua. And um, so just get ready to hear from Rudy today. Yeah, buddy. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for the uh, kind introduction. My name is Rudy. Uh, I live in Calgary with my wife, Haley and my son, Joshua. We, uh, we moved here a couple of years ago, and uh, Calgary was our first stop when we came to Canada. And uh, we didn't know if it would be our last, but uh, things got going really quickly, and we've hung around. And uh, our son is now a Canadian and uh, <laughs> born on Canada Day. And uh, we love the mountains, we love the lakes. Uh, we try to get out there as, as often as possible. We love uh, the people and uh, we love the wildlife. Uh, since I've been here, I've seen over 10 black bears and about three weeks ago, I had my first encounter with the grizzly. So getting the, the full Canadian experience, I, uh, we were just past Spray Lakes, uh, going to like a secret spot of ours. There's a, there's a little lake that is uncrowded and we're gonna go there for a picnic. And I uh, hopped out the car with Joshua, and uh, about 10 meters away from the car, I hear a sound, I turn around, and there's a grizzly cruising through the field. And uh, I start walking back towards the car, thinking, well, if he starts running, I'm probably gonna get to the car before him, so I should be good. Once I'm in the car, I'm like, wow, that was, that's an awesome sighting. And uh, something I could get to check off the bucket list, although probably closer than I would have liked. And um, having all these Canadian experiences yesterday, I had another one. I uh, had my first try of a Caesar. So, so, so I buy the Caesar and I take my first sip. And I'm thinking this is too spicy too salty, and way too much tomato. <laughs> but I've already paid five bucks for this thing. And I don't like just throwing away, throwing away money. So I think, well, I'm going to just man up here and, and get it down the esophagus. <laughs> I take a second sip, and I decide my life is worth more than five bucks. <laughs> like, who, who in here actually likes Caesars? Oh. It's going to be tough for me this morning to make friends. <laughs> so different experiences bring about 
different uh, events in our lives and uh, for different people we experience things differently. But I really believe it's, it's important for us to see new things and to experience new things and open our eyes to what there is in this world and uh, what the Lord has for us. I grew up in a university town called Stellenbosch just outside Cape Town in South Africa. And growing up uh, from as young as I can remember, I was just infatuated with sports. I was always outside playing cricket, cycling, swimming, running, rugby, hockey, you name it, I was doing it. Just every season brought another sport which I tried to master and spent numerous hours playing with my friends and, uh, and, and parents. And I remember one, one event when I was about 12 years old, I qualified for this this kind of championship event up in Sun City for doing like a duathlon, it's like a running cycling type, type gig. And our family always went camping when we were younger, so I wasn't used to these big fancy hotels. Sun City's like this paradise family resort with like three hotels and uh, safari and golf courses and quad biking and boating and, and, and extreme sports and big water parks, etc. So it's like, a, it's like a, a child's dream to go there. Anyways, we fly in there the Friday night. The Saturday is the juniors race. And before that, I walk into the area where they have the buffet breakfast. And my friends that are on the team with me are having their oats and honey. And I'm thinking, I'm going to max out this opportunity. <laughs> so I load up on eggs benedict and waffles with cream and ice cream and honey. I do the full nine yards. And a little while later, 50 meters into the race, <laughs> I've realized they've made a big error. And it's either slow down or not feel so good. And so I didn't do so well in that race. And I went home and uh, my dad asked me how it went and so forth. And I said, well, you know, the other kids had way nicer bicycles than me. <laughs> I need a new bicycle to keep up with the fast kids. Anyways, my dad saw the passion that I had. I was riding every day. I was watching Tour de France every second that it was on during the June, July holidays. Like, that was life for me. To be a professional athlete, that was just it. That was the dream. And then high school kind of came, and towards the end of high school, thinking career, it was all about becoming a lawyer. And then in my final year of high school, I get born again, radically. And I start to pursue the Lord. And I decide that instead of going straight into university, I will take a gap year. And I decided to do an internship at the church, one where we did Bible school, went on outreaches, served in the church in various capacities, etc. And it was during that year that I had the opportunity of going to India. And this experience was, is one that was exceptionally significant in my life. I had gone back to India and Nepal various times after that, but I remember a couple of encounters that I had uh, on my first trip. I remember meeting a man by the name Raj. Improbable, I know, being in India, Raj. And he, he was born into this family where his mom had had four or five daughters. 
And then the priest of the city prophesied over and said, your next child is going to be a boy and he is going to be holy and he is going to be worshipped. And lo and behold, this prophecy came true and her next child was the son, Raj. So he was dedicated to the Hindu gods and he was kept in the temple. So he's, the first 12 years of his life, he was kept in a cage in a temple and people brought him sacrifices, gifts. They came to worship him every day. And so this is how he spent his childhood. Around the age of 10, he fell very ill. And <clears throat> doctors didn't have a solution. The Hindu doctors, priests didn't know what to do. And one night while he was sleeping, this man appeared to him with radiant eyes and said to him, I am the doctor, I am the great physician, and I'm going to heal you. And that's all he said. And a few days later, his mom got exactly the same dream, where this man with radiant eyes didn't say his name, but said, I am going to heal your son. And a couple days later, he was fully healed, no more symptoms at all, and he was back to his normal healthy self. And this, they had this experience, but they didn't know who the person in the dream was until he had come of age once, uh, I think in India what happens is once you hit puberty, you're no longer holy, so you cannot be the child God to be worshiped, etc. So once he was 12, he left the temple and he got to stay with his mum. And uh, a missionary came past their village and explained uh, Jesus to them and explained that he's the healer. And uh, they put the links together and, and saw that the person that appeared to us in our dream is this Jesus that this missionary is explaining. So his mom and himself, they committed their lives to the Lord and subsequently got extradited from the community, got thrown out. Uh, his dad excommunicated them. And so they had to live like in the bush outside of the village that uh, uh, he was he was raised up in. He went on to finish school. Uh, he went on to obtain, and he's got three master's degrees and two PhDs. He's founded a ministry. Uh, his dad has since come to the Lord, and um, he's got multiple schools, orphanages, and he's quite influential in the political sphere in terms of schooling and, and what they believe the kids should be learning. And... I remember that experience and, and meeting that man and what he had been through and how he met Jesus before anyone had even spoken to him about it. So Jesus made himself visible to a Hindu God, in a sense. So we go around India with this pastor Raj and he takes us to rural villages some villages hadn't seen white people before. Some took uh, several hours to get to in a bus. Some you could only walk to on foot because they didn't have like big enough roads for cars to get into them. And we come to this one village and we meet the pastor there, 75-year-old man. And Pastor Raj tells us that 
this man runs this church in the village, but he's also planted a church 25 kilometers away. And he walks every week to the village to go share the gospel with this neighboring village, which is 25 kilometers away. He doesn't have a bicycle and you can't get there by car. So he leaves in the very early hours of the morning, walks a couple of hours. In India, you don't just preach 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, you preach three, four, five hours. And then you make your trek back home. And people tell him, you're old, you cannot do this anymore, you need to slow down. But he just says, I, I cannot leave those people. I cannot not go and share with them. Who else is going to do it? And I remember that night in his church, thatched roof, no walls, um, one little generator for one microphone. The band is whacking away on those drum things that they have there, and, and they're going full tilt. And they're shouting so loud in that microphone, it's like half like a funny sound coming out of that speaker. But it's, it's, it's one of the most intense moments where I experienced the presence of the Lord was in that man's church. And he had been captured a number of times by rebels and Hindus and beaten. And they even captured, they burnt down his church, they captured his wife. And they said, well, your husband doesn't listen to us, so we're going to beat you until your husband stops preaching and you must tell him that so she said well do what you must to me because he's never going to stop and so coming from a uh, uh, you know a kind of general home uh, back in South Africa um, kind of stable kind of you know dad doing his thing mom doing her thing uh, never being confronted with these kinds of experiences, never even knowing they exist outside of my world, was a very big eye-opener to me. And um, it opened how I saw the world. It changed my worldview, and it influenced how I would think about what I want to do with my life from then on forward. And we went to one of the other villages, and there was a man with this massive tumor and uh, doctors and priests and whatever could do nothing for him. And uh, we laid hands on him and we prayed for him and he walked back to his house. He was a Hindu man. And uh, by the time he got back to the house, the tumor was gone. And so him and his family all give their lives to Jesus. The pastor tells us the next day, the whole village, because it's a small village and everyone knows everyone, the whole village is coming inquiring who is this Jesus that heals. And there were a number of these kinds of experiences that have just never left me. I'm sure I'll forget about the Caesar, maybe not tomorrow, but, but one day I'll forget about it. But some experiences just stick. They just don't leave. And they, and they change the way you view things and the way you dream. We got the opportunity to partner with him and to, to build a school. We. Uh, we went to the train stations and uh, the orphanages. There's a cast of kids that live on the train stations, uh, orphans. Um, and uh, we fed them fresh food and um, we cleaned them up a bit. And uh, there were some kids where you take off the bandage around the arm and 
you can smell the flesh and there's maggots that have eaten their way down. Uh, there's a little girl that only had one ear because once they took off the bandages, it was already one ear less. Um, and uh, they cleaned her up and she's healthy and she's uh, in the orphanage now. And um, you get confronted with these things that, you know, gross you out, even telling it from the pulpit. And I think once you put yourself in a position to experience how the other 90% lives, uh, it, it changes you. And um, part of what I want to share today is to see things. Um, part of my testimony is that I saw a couple of things and it changed me. And I think if we just dreaming about selfish desires all the time, I would contend that we haven't seen enough scripture and we probably haven't seen enough of the world. So I want to encourage us, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching of myself also this morning too, to see more of the world and to see more of scripture, to see more of the Lord's heart. It's all around us. It's, it's the majority of, of, of what happens outside of how we live, especially in the first world nation. And, and even more so, um, if you've never been outside Calgary, make a trip. You probably don't have to go too far. To, to see a couple of things that will help shape a worldview that um, is probably not going to be selfish. Um, so we need to, as individuals, we need to dream. We need to see things, and then we need to plan accordingly so that we can live out who we believe God has made us to be. Scripture actually talks a lot about dreaming, but sometimes in our translations, we, we don't always read it as dreaming just because of the riches of the Hebrew and the Greek language, because some Greek or Hebrew words can be translated in 10 or 15 English words. And so the translators will choose what they feel would best describe that word, but it it's, can sometimes mean something more colorful or more rich. That's why I think reading different translations is helpful to kind of get the, the fullness, full juice of, of what scripture is trying to tell us in, in certain instances. And um, in Jeremiah 20 verse nine, uh, 29 verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And the NIV says, I know the plans that I have for you. And what was a revelation and enlightening for myself was that the word dreaming and creating comes from the same root Hebrew word. So yatzer is translated to create. Yetzer is translated imagination, conception, and thought. It refers to the plans and the purposes of the mind, which includes dreaming. So yatsa is the resulting act of creation. So the power to create begins with the ability to dream. In order to, to create something, we first need to see it. We need to dream it. We have to have that plan and the purpose. And um, 
we see it in Abraham's life. He had many promises, and uh, many of them were fulfilled, where his descendants were numerous, and his wealth was numerous. He was blessed with abundance. And then it took 400 years for um, the full kind of promise to be fulfilled of all the land that was promised to him. He wasn't alive at that stage, but it was fulfilled through his descendants and in-laws, um, Caleb and Joshua. And so what happened is Moses sent out the 12 spies to go spy out the promised land. And they come back, and two of them report that we can take this land. There's freedom, there's abundance, there's giants, but we can defeat them. And the other 10 are but flaky. They look at the risks and the rewards and they say, I'm out. Like, these giants are just too big, um, but too strong. And the risk is outweighing the reward for us at this point. And I think it's important to recognize that every dream is going to have opposition. There are going to be giants in, every, in, in the path of every dream, and every dreamer is going to be faced with the risk and the reward of that dream. And they are only going to embrace the dream and follow through if the value that they place on that dream outweighs the risk. And sometimes the dreams need to firstly be birthed and then be cultivated and they have to be deep-rooted. For Caleb and Joshua, the reward of freedom from Egypt and the abundance that they saw before them far outweighed the risks of the giant. They knew the promises, they believed that the Lord was with them, and they had full confidence that they could take the promised land. And by the time that, that Caleb and uh, Joshua were going into the promised land, Hebron, uh, which is one of the hills, had already had its names changed to Kiriath Arba. Now, Kiriath Arba basically means city that belongs to Arba. And Arba was one of the biggest giants in the promised land. So this biggest giant took the biggest hill and named it after himself. He changed it from... Um, the name Hebron, which means friendship with God, to his own name. And Caleb saw this. And not only did he have it in his heart to defeat the giants, but he said, that hill is mine. And he claims a stake on that hill. And then goes on to rename it back to Hebron. I mean, he recognized a couple of things about that hill. Firstly, that it resembles or means friendship with God. It's where Abraham was, was buried and obviously saw the, the abundance of it and it was the biggest. He said, that's mine. I'm staking my claim to the biggest and the best piece of land. And I love Joshua 14 uh, verses 6 to 15 where, where Caleb and Joshua are having this discussion. And Caleb says to Joshua, you know, when, when Moses sent us out as spies, I was 40 years old. The other spies, they were flaky. It was just me and you. We stood our ground. Then what happened is 
Moses said to us that every foot, every place where a foot treads upon is our inheritance that the Lord has given us. And I am as strong this day, 45 day, years later, as I was when I was 40 years old. So he's standing there as an 85 year old man and he's saying, I'm just as strong, I'm just as courageous, I'm just as keen for the battle of this promised land now as I was when I was 40. And on top of that, I want Hebron. Hebron's mine, that's my inheritance. And Joshua blesses that and he gets Hebron as his inheritance. He saw it. He had that dream, he had the plan and the purpose and he had the courage. I think there's a couple of lessons that we can learn from, from Caleb and Joshua in the process of dreaming and obtaining the promised land is that we must never give up dreaming. Sometimes our dreams change, but the nature that we have to dream must always continue. I went from, you know, professional athlete to lawyer to, you know, working at the church to going a completely different path and, you know, studying business, what have you. So the, the dream can change, but never stop dreaming. And I think it's important that every so often we recalibrate and look at where we are, what kind of has happened, what have our experiences been, and what experiences do we want in the future? What do we want to accomplish in this life in light of eternity? And it's something that I'm going through once again, um, thinking about recalibrating, etc. And when we dream, it releases creativity. And uh, this creativity solves problems in our lives. And it also gives us endurance when we're going through wilderness, going through the dry times. It keeps us going, it keeps us focused. Sometimes we really need to show some resolve, some backbone. I know G.K. Chesterton says that you do not grow a beard in a moment of passion. <laughs> and that's true for most things in life, not all things. Sometimes it is quick and easy, but for a lot of things that are worthwhile, we've got to stay the course. It gets tested time, time and again. In, in Joshua 14, that passage, in two separate verses in that same passage, it says that Caleb followed the Lord wholly. And because of that, he received his inheritance. And I believe that's, that's one of the keys um, for obtaining your inheritance is to follow the Lord wholly. It's a condition of the heart to be wholly consecrated to him consistently over time through uh, the, the peaks and the valleys. I also believe we need to see more stuff. Caleb saw some stuff. He went out, he scouted the promised land, and then he knew what he wanted. It wasn't before that. It was when he saw it. I think of inventors. I think of people like the Wright brothers when they invented the airplane. They had to have seen it in their minds before they set out building it. So we need to see things. In real life, we need to read, we need to conceptualize, we need to imagine 
these things that we want to push towards. I believe travel is very powerful. If you have the means, uh, which I think everyone in Canada does, travel a bit, see some things, experience some new things, see how other people live, how other cultures do things, or even just read up about it, you know, and uh, experience more of the world, more of how things work. Um, it impacted myself personally very much seeing something completely different to what I was used to. And I certainly encourage everyone to put themselves in a position to experience something different. And uh, I know at the church, yeah, we have opportunity to see how people live in Cambodia and how uh, our kids get rescued and uh, raised up and educated and, and given an amazing chance at, at life. And um, awesome opportunities like that. Uh, there's, there's many of them uh, that's available. Um, same with my son. He's at the moment obsessed with bananas. So if he sees a banana on the kitchen table, he stakes a claim. <laughs> He points and he says as much as he can until we give him a piece of that banana. And maybe we don't give it to him every time, but we give it to him a lot. He gets a lot of banana because he asks for banana. He's, he's focused, he's passionate. He puts all his energy into asking and wanting, desiring that, that banana. And once we have these dreams, once we've seen things, we need to start the creative process. I don't think we can ever just go to the scrapyard and start playing, out, playing with a couple of pieces of metal and then in 100 years time there's going to be a spaceship or there's going to be an aeroplane. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't happen by chance. Great inventions or plans that people have, dreams, destinies that people have lived out, were never by accident, in a sense. It was something intentional, something that people worked towards, they labored towards, they pursued. And with the Lord's blessing, that dream was created into something tangible, or if not tangible, something that affects other people's lives. And this morning, I just wanted to kind of circle around to the power of seeing things and the ability to dream and what that means as that leads to creating something significant. So if this morning you have never met the creator, the giver of dreams, then we'd love to pray with you to introduce you to Jesus. And if that dream has, has faded and it's just becoming a day-to-day for you. We'd like to pray with you to just kind of realign that compass to, to that which is important, to that which has eternal significance. And, um, and if, if you're sitting here and you don't have a clue what the dream is, I encourage you to 
see more of scripture and to see more of the world, experience more things. And certain things are gonna stick. Certain things, even if you wanna forget them, they're probably gonna hang, hang with you. And it's gonna help shape your worldview uh, in, in a powerful way. So um, we, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be ending the service, but um, if, if you have desire for prayer in uh, any of those areas, we're gonna be uh, with the prayer team in front and um, we'll pray with you and, uh, and encourage you in, in those areas. Thank you very much. So good. Let's thank Rudy again for bringing that word. If we can just stand together now. And if you want to respond in any way to, uh, to anything, you want to get prayer um, for the dream, if you want to meet Jesus, like Rudy's already invited you, I just, I just encourage you to come, come down. I'm just going to pray to end the service, and Rudy and the prayer team is going to be down the front ready to pray with you. So, so Lord, I just thank you for today's service. Lord, I thank you for the word that was brought, Lord. I pray as we go about our day, you'd continue to help us see. God, continue to help us dream, Lord. God, and we thank you that you are, you are the creator, Lord God, and you give us creativity to create things, Lord. So I thank you for each person here that they'll have a blessed week and you continue to speak to us as we go through those doors. In your mighty name, amen. So um, like I said, come forward. Remember next week we have baptism service. So uh, make sure you come along to that. But through those doors walks people who see, people who dream, and those ready to create. So have a great day, church. Be blessed. message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.